Life does not always, always turn out kind of the way we expect it to turn out. Things play out differently. If I asked you something in your life today that uh, has caused you heartache or pain, uh, I'm sure that every single one of us could come up with kind of those mile marker things maybe in our life, those big moments where, yeah, you're like, wow, that one hurt, that one hurt. Those disappointments, um, what about pleasant surprises? We don't think about maybe those as much. Pleasant surprises. The surprises that maybe at first they catch you a little bit off guard, like when you first catch wind of it or whatever, you're kind of like, oh. But then as you look back over the years, how many of you have those where at first it looked like, I don't know how this is going to play out, but then 10, 20 years down the road you look back and you're like, I wouldn't have wanted it any other way. How many of you have had those? It was kind of pleasant surprises, right? So I, um, we have three boys. Most of you know that. Jack's our oldest. He's 21. Coleman is our second oldest. He's 19. And Bryson is our third. He's 18. So boom, boom, boom. And the way that happened, I mean, it happens in certain ways. You know how that works. So <laughs> the way that that happened was Jack came, and it was great, and all kinds of stuff. We don't make small human beings, so... Um, we, Jack came and he was a big, big kid. And then two years later, just a perfect timing, right? Two years later, we had Coleman. Now Coleman was different. Coleman, they took him a couple weeks early because they thought we were having twins. Literally, that's literally what was going on. And so when Coleman came out, everybody paused. This was a giant child. He was a couple weeks early and 10 pounds on the dot. And just super long, and he came out, he needed to shave, all kinds, I mean, it was, there was all kinds of stuff going on, okay? So you got, you got Jack, who's still in diapers, you've got Bryson, who is a mini adult, I mean, he's just a giant, giant kid. And we're sitting on a couch three months later, and Shelly does not feel good. And here's Jackson playing. Here's Coleman, 17th meal of the day. And here we are looking at a pregnancy test. And we're like, we are the most irresponsible people that we've ever met. Do we not know how this works at this point? And honestly, in that moment, we were de- the, the phone calls that we were afraid of, I was not afraid to call my parents. Um, my mom's reaction was predictable. Richard! What? This is, how, <laughs> this is how babies are made. We do this. But Shelly's mom, we were definitely afraid to call Shelly's mom. Shelly's mom just laughed at us. Those people laughed at us. They just laughed. I guess you get to do that as a grandparent. You just laugh at your children. So now, I say all of that to say roughly 20 years later, we would not have done that any differently. At that moment, we were kind of like, we are the most irresponsible people we know. And God, why would you trust us in this moment we don't even know how to control ourselves. So what, why? Why are we doing this? But 20 years later, we wouldn't do it any differently. Our boys are their best friends with each other, and they have this kind of unique relationship that, uh, that we're really grateful for. And so uh, it's one of those things, those surprises that comes along, but at the end, you're kind of like, okay, I, I wouldn't do this any different. Wouldn't do it any different. Now, you and I both know that life goes the other way sometimes. It goes the other way. You're losing a job, a marriage maybe, a business. There's a friendship that goes south. There's disappointment. Maybe it's not just 
disappointment that takes place, but you enter into kind of a phase of hopelessness where a situation or a thing just feels hopeless. There's no point in hoping for something to be any different. The things in life that come to mind, those things that are so much easier to think about than the unexpected blessings of life. They're the unexpected, man, here we go, here we go. The pain, the disappointment. And sometimes when those things happen in our lives, they arrest us and hopelessness starts to take over. Um, Have you ever heard of the phrase arrested development? It's this idea that there's something that happens in your life. It's a psychological term, but it's also a physical term. Something physical happens or something, some kind of a trauma takes place in your life and you're arrested at that point and you don't develop beyond that moment. Maybe it's trauma, maybe it's a significant disappointment, but it's a perpetual cycle of hopelessness. I know it seems a little odd to start with this with the lights of Christmas and the music and and all the busyness and all that stuff, that we would begin with a story actually about a couple who have experienced hopelessness. By very definition, being hopeless means that there is a thing that you wish that you could put your hope in, but you can't, right? There's something to not put your hope in because what's the point? It's a hopeless situation. There's no, no reason to ever believe something should be different. There's no reason to believe it could be different. So why put your hope in that? At the same time, I'm fully convinced that there are people in this room right now who can identify with the couple that we're going to talk about here in just a minute. Uh, even today, as you look at our world, I think, and I don't think I'm alone in this, but isn't there a sense that no matter what happens, Things still spiral, kind of beyond our control. Uh, There's just a lot to be worried about. The answers to the problems in the world today feel like there are few, and there are fewer people who have the answers to give. Uh, It just feels like it feels hopeless. For the couple that we're looking at today, their hopelessness really rests in this idea that there's a future that they would have hoped for that that just isn't there. So there's no point in, in hoping for it. Um, now, before we jump in, context is important. So, Advent, Advent means preparing, pre- preparation for something important. There's something happening or there's someone coming, and being in a season of Advent is preparing yourself for that moment. Have you ever been told to prepare for something, maybe even by faith? Oh, something big's going to come, something big's going to come, and you go to bed and you wake up the next morning and that something big didn't show up. You're like, okay, we're going to do it again. You do it over and over and over again. How long do you prepare? How long do you wait for this thing that's supposed to happen? This is the situation that we find actually in the very first advent. And it's found actually begins in the very last words of the Old Testament. Micah, I'm sorry, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. You'll see them on the screen. These are the last words of the Old Testament. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. That feels a little heavy-handed, okay? But I want, to, I want to ask you to do something. Imagine that those are the parting words of the Old Testament. And then for 400 years, God goes silent. He just goes silent. God ghosts you <laughs> for 400 years. And then at the 400-year mark, he breaks his silence. He breaks his silence through this angelic vision, 
this thing that takes place with this old man named Zechariah. Zechariah. Now, this is today's text, Luke 1, 5 through 25. I want to ask you to bear with me. It's a little lengthy, but I think it's important to read the whole thing. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. He belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands, decrees blamelessly, but they were childless. And here's why. Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. This Sometimes priests never even got to do this. This is like the inner, inner place in the temple, that they would go, this is where God resided. And this was a huge, huge privilege. So this was the honor of his entire career to do this. So when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You're going to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, and I would ask this question too, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. That's a very diplomatic way to say that his wife was old, right? The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. We're going to fast forward a little bit, skip a few verses, but pick up at the, here at the end. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, really quickly, you and I live in a completely different culture. Um, if you do not have children, there is no shame in that, there is no guilt in not having children. But context does matter, and the shame is actually really, really well documented throughout the Old Testament. Uh, that word disgrace that, that she uses, when she says, uh, he's shown favor, he's taken away my disgrace among the people, that's a very intentional word. A very intentional word. It would have been viewed as the fault of Elizabeth that they were childless. She was barren. Now, nobody knew that. You can't look at somebody and say they're barren from the outside, but it didn't matter. In that culture, it was not his fault. It would have been assumed that the judgment of God was being passed onto Elizabeth, and that's why they did not have any children. 
So it's the judgment of God. So childless, barren, and on top of that, we're like past the baby-making days, all right? We're, we're old. So I want you just to think about this. This is Elizabeth's deepest, most meaningful role that religion and society had defined for her. And it was out of her reach, and she couldn't do anything about it. Now, again, context, I'm not saying that women just make babies. You understand that correctly? Okay. Maybe we did that for three years straight, but okay, that is, don't shoot the messenger. Okay. This is the culture of that day. This is first century Jewish culture. And because of it, she was hopeless in this arena. There was no hope to be had. I mean, it's pointless to put hope on something that was just not going to happen. Okay. Now, there's hopelessness all around us. There's hopelessness around you if you look for it. It's all over the place. You work with people who feel hopeless. I know you do. We're married to people who feel hope slipping sometimes. We parent children in a world of hopelessness. We're in places like Parkland, Florida, Colorado Springs, Colorado. We're a Walmart in Virginia where there's so much hate and anger and resentment and bitterness that lives are taken, people are gunned down. We're endless wars in places like the Ukraine where power and greed stir up political motivations. If we're honest, there's just a lot to feel hopeless about. We are hopeless, at least from time to time. So here's some good news. Advent is about the fullness of time when Jesus first came. That's what we're celebrating during this season. But you and I also live in a second Advent. We celebrate Advent to remember what leads up to Christmas, the birth of Jesus. But you and I are actually in a second Advent because Jesus is going to come again. So the good news is that Advent is about preparing in hope for when Jesus, the source of our hope, actually comes again. That's what we're doing right now. And each person in Luke chapter 1 actually experiences some level of hopelessness. So just really briefly this morning, how do you restore that hope? How do you, how do you gain that hope back after it's been taken away? And the first thing that we see here in verse 12, and, and we see from Zechariah, is you've got to recognize, you've got to own your fear. Don't deny it. Don't push it under the rug. Don't, don't pretend it's not there, that you're bigger than that. You just got to acknowledge your fear. Understand that there's fear. When the angel first came to Zechariah, and again, he's in the Holy of Holies. He's in this inner area in the temple where you're supposed to be meeting God. But if, if we're completely honest, they've been doing that for 400 years, and God had been ghosting them. God had been silent. So as Zechariah is in there, while this is the privilege of his lifetime, to have been chosen to be able to do this, honestly, the idea of an angel, boom, showing up in that moment, scared him to death. It would have scared you too. But then the angel says, don't be afraid, take heart. He begins by saying, do not be afraid. And what I think is really interesting, I think it's encouraging, actually, is that Zechariah, he's not criticized for being afraid. He's not criticized for being afraid. We see fear as a weakness. He's not criticized for being afraid. His fear is very natural. It's expected. It's reasonable. I mean, think about it. It's reasonable for him to be afraid in that moment. There's one thing, though, that drowns out hope. It is fear. If you don't believe that, how much hope do you have in our political system today? Don't answer out loud. 
Fear is a commodity that is peddled by everyone. And if there is one thing that will drive out any hope for anything to ever be different, it's fear. It's fear. Now, normally fear is kind of a useful thing, okay? It protects us. It makes us use caution, drive slower, okay? But how many of you have ever struggled with what I would call irrational fears? Fears that, uh, that just arise over things that may or may never happen. Have you ever experienced those? I mean, fear is useful when you, you know, you run into a grizzly bear on a hike. But let's be honest, I don't go on hikes. <laughs> um, but seriously, lesser fears hijack us all the time. I shared with you, I think it was a couple weeks ago, um, one of the things that I'm really trying to work on in my own life, I'm a people pleaser. I have a hard time engaging in conversations and I have a hard time making decisions and I have a hard time uh, putting myself in situations where I know somebody might be disappointed in me or somebody might question me or somebody might criticize me, founded or unfounded. So I, I tend to not want to enter into spaces where my standing in somebody else's eyes may be in jeopardy. The problem with that is I'm sure that's kept me from taking steps of faith that God has wanted me to take many, many times over my adult life. I'm sure that that's happened. So I try to get better at not being a pleasing people pleaser, but you can see the fear is actually what's driving my decisions in those moments. So why would I expect anything to be different? Why would I expect anything could be different if I'm not willing to acknowledge that fear and then step out in faith, step out in faith? Because fear does things like pits everybody against you. You know what, Rich? You're a failure. It tells you, you know, Rich, you don't belong. Uh, you don't have what it takes. You don't, you don't know what you're doing because you've never done this before. Uh, why, why would you think you should do those things? Fear does that stuff. And the antidote to all of that is to remember what is going on right now in this life of Zechariah. In this moment, I don't know if we realize this, but when an angel shows up to you and is like, hey, have no fear, I'm going to bless you. Literally all of heaven is behind cheering on. Like, this is your moment, Zechariah. This is your moment. Do not fear. And in the face of fear, you and I need to understand the same thing. We do. That all of heaven is cheering you on. If God is asking you to do something, all of heaven is cheering you on. Zechariah was about to be used, just think about this. He's about to be used by God in God's redemptive plan for the entire world. That's a pretty big deal. You and I are people God wants to use in his redemptive plan for the world. Don't you think all of heaven is cheering you on as you respond? He says, do not be afraid. When that nagging, when that unsettling feeling shows its face, recognize it for what it is, acknowledge it, and then ask the Holy Spirit, I need you to tell me the truth. Holy Spirit, you tell me the truth. And what most likely he's going to do is he's going to remind you of some scriptural promises to you that he's already made, his purpose for your life. And when you recognize that fear, when you own the fact that it's there and believe truth, you then become renewed in faith, in hope as you live it out in faith. We respond and we act on faith. That's what our, our life is. Our life is lived on the basis of faith. You don't know what's going to happen when you drive away today. 
Every action of our life is lived by faith. Unlike Jesus, John the Baptist, who Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're going to have, John the Baptist is not conceived by the Holy Spirit. He's conceived by Zechariah acting out in faith. So read between the lines there, okay? Zechariah finishes his priestly duties, and he goes home. This is the greatest pickup line on the planet, okay? Um, Hey, babe. So, an angel showed up and said, you and I, putting the berry white on tonight. We're going to, yeah. This is the biggest pickup line on the planet, okay? Now, all the innuendos aside, I want you to think for just a second about what Zechariah is doing. He's risking. He's risking failure. He's going to go home. He's going to tell his wife, an angel visited me and said, we're going to have a baby. I want you to think about all of the fear that could be wrapped up in that statement, in that conversation. What is he doing in that moment? He's actually risking failure. Uh, the, uh, the idea of a child was not even on the front burner and hadn't been on the front burner for years for them. What was the point? There's no point in thinking about it. There's no point in even praying about it at that point. It was done. It was useless to have hope. In fact, for somebody to insinuate that they should have hope that, hey, that situation might change would actually be cruel. It would be cruel to try to build some kind of false hope that one day you're going to have a child. So when he heads home, he's risking opening his heart, but he's also risking opening his wife's heart to a bunch of pain again. Even so, you see this incredible response. He doesn't let the fear of disappointment rule in his life. Instead, he says, okay. And he responds in faith. He lives in faith of what will be. Not what could be or what should be, But if the angel of the Lord has told me that this is going to happen, I'm going to act in faith that this will be. This will be. Every year, Advent comes and goes. And I know we celebrate these four weeks remembering we actually live in that second Advent right now. We covered that in our last series. Jesus is coming back. We believe Jesus will return. Because we live in this second Advent, We have this incredible privilege to embody the mission of Christ in the world we find ourselves living in. Uh, Here and now, loving one another, giving a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, welcoming strangers to serve, the least of these, embracing the foreigner, clothing the needy. We have the opportunity to engage in Christ's mission right here and right now in this second advent. Um, You do that when you have hope. You don't do that if you're living out of fear. You do that when you're living a hope-faith-based life. I see a lot of hopelessness among a lot of followers of Jesus, myself included sometimes, particularly in our online presence. Uh, that's probably the most evident. A lot of fear-based commentary, posting, if, you know, if, if such and such happens, you know what that means, don't you? You lose this, or you lose that, or we can't do this, or we can't do that. That's a lot of fear. I don't see a lot of hope, a lot of confidence. Could it be that the very thing that God is calling all of us to today is the very thing that can restore hope in our life? In the midst of all the 
opportunities we have to proclaim our hopelessness or the hopeless situations we see around us in the world today, what would happen if we honestly just acknowledged that God was calling us into something different? To live a faith-based life, acting in faith that Jesus is actually coming back and we live out his mission by serving and giving and loving. What would it look like for us to change? So clearly, hope was restored in Zechariah's life and in Elizabeth's life. But they had to take action. They had to take steps of faith to see that happen. There was action attached to it, which also included embracing grace. I think this is a beautiful portion of this passage. You and I, I mean, if you do, I mean, I don't know what to do for you, but we would never shame somebody for an inability to conceive. That thought wouldn't cross our mind, right? We would never put shame or guilt on somebody if they couldn't conceive a child. But they lived in a shame-based religious culture that actually sought out ways to shame, um, to point out deficiencies. Because if I can point out the deficiencies of others, I don't look so bad. What makes this so painful for Elizabeth and Zechariah is that this is public. Um, it's, it's very clear they don't have children. That's a very obvious, visible thing. They don't have any children. Uh, it's not like this private habit over here or a bad decision that I made years and years ago that nobody knows about or any of those different things. Imagine your darkest secret going viral. And there's no way for you to correct it. You can't stop it. You can't, you can't push the pause button and say, hey, hey, listen up. You probably don't have all the facts, so let me clarify everything for you. You don't have any of those abilities. Everybody knows. She's a person of shame. Elizabeth is a person of shame. But in the face of that shame, she displays the grace that has been offered to her, and she attributes it to God. She's graced by God. Verse 25, you see it. Uh, imagine <laughs> the neighbors. Oh, okay. <laughs> Something's going on there. Literally, this shame, undeserved shame, is erased and it's replaced by hope. I've known people, myself included at times, um, who get pulled back. How do I say this? Get pulled back by shame into past things. Um, they cause you to question that God would be able to use you or cause you to question even your standing with God. Have you ever experienced that? I mean, I had a life before I knew Jesus um, that did not glorify God. And Every once in a while, there are things that pop up, things that happen, and I think, what, <laughs> what right do I have to stand where I'm standing right now? Like, I wouldn't use me. I wouldn't trust me. I mean, how many of you have those things in your life, those things that if people knew, you'd be devastated, absolutely devastated? And I wonder how many times we hold back on what we believe God wants to do in us and through us because we're afraid of shame. We're afraid of shame and failure. Um, I think we all face the similar challenge that Zechariah and Elizabeth face. What's God done in your life? Think about this. What has God done in your life that has taken away shame and given you hope? 
Can I encourage you? Embrace that. (laughs) That's grace. The fact that God has done something amazing in your life and has replaced that shame with hope now because the old is gone, the new has come, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, that's you, that's me. If we profess a faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died, who gave his life to give us redemption, to save us, to purify us, to make us righteous and holy in his sight, does it not stand to reason that you have a freedom today to embrace the hope that God offers to you? And that's an incredible grace. I want to encourage you to embrace that grace. God favors you. Do you believe that? God favors you like he favored Zechariah and Elizabeth. And I do. I think we all face the similar challenge. We face the reality of who we were, maybe. Previous habits, attitudes, failures, whatever. Sometimes we wonder, I do. You know, God, do you even hear what I'm saying? Do you even hear my prayer? Hopes we thought would be realized by now, maybe, in our lives. You might even be praying for a child. I don't know. But remember this. It was not John the Baptist. Zechariah and Elizabeth would give birth to John the Baptist. It was not John the Baptist who was the ultimate source of Zechariah and Elizabeth's joy. The ultimate joy in their lives would be the one whose birth would follow John's. Jesus was their ultimate joy. Jesus. My prayer for you this Advent is that you would embrace the grace that Jesus offers you. We're going to journey through these stories. Uh, Next week, we look at peace, the peace that God offers us, the peace we have the opportunity to embrace and embody as well. Uh, And it seems cliche to say this, but it would be a shame to go through the entire Christmas season not opening the most important gift that's ever been given. And it's that grace that comes through Jesus Christ. So I just want to encourage you, embrace that grace, this Advent, and, and allow yourself to be used by God. Allow yourself to experience God's movement in your life, and the work of the Spirit drawing you closer to Him. Sound like a plan? I'll share with you a couple things. The first is this, you'll see it on the screen. Uh, over the years, this church is engaged in a Christmas offering. And uh, on the screen, you will see, in just a second, maybe, no. All right, I'm going to make everything up on the fly. So uh, the Christmas offering this year, the goal is $30,000. $30,000, and uh, there are three entities that we are raising this money for. Uh, the first is housing opportunities. Housing opportunities uh, provides uh, not just shelter for those dealing with the struggle of homelessness in Porter County, uh, but uh, also provides all kinds of different transitionary things to help people move out of homelessness into a much more sustained living situation. Uh, Pastor Ben is on their board of directors, and uh, they do an incredible job. We're partnering with them uh, in the months moving forward. They've just built a new facility in, uh, in Portage over behind the resale shop off of Central, And uh, we're going to be building garden beds over there, kind of partnering with our community garden and all kinds of different things. And uh, so that's one of the entities. Another entity is Free the Girls. 
Uh, Pastor Greg Arthur was here sharing last week uh, from Doonlin Community Church. And Pastor Greg is the co-director of Free the Girls. This is a ministry that serves uh, women and children all over the world today to escape uh, human trafficking, uh, sexual ex exploitation and vulnerability, all kinds of different things. It gives them resources to be able to get out of that life and stay out of that life. And uh, they come alongside all kinds of different people in all walks of life. They do an amazing, amazing job. And actually on December 6th, and we can get you more information, we'll put it on Facebook, they're having a packing party at their place. They collect bras. So if you've ever seen the boxes that collect bras, they ship millions of bras all over the world, and these women sell them to get a living to stay off of the street, to stay out of trafficking. So that's the other organization. The third is this, Palmarcito. So we, this last year, established a, a partnership with a, a church in Palmarcito, Guatemala, and uh, that church is doing some amazing, amazing things. We took our first team last summer, and uh, this next summer in July, there's another trip coming up, but we have an ongoing partnership with them and several projects tied to them. Uh, one of those projects this year is to build a bakery on the site of the church. I'm all for building bakeries on the site of churches, if you were wondering, but uh, building a bakery on the site of the church to offer not just uh, employment for some of the women in the community, but also another resource into the community. There's a community garden that's going to be established and planned for 50-plus families uh, to be able to engage in growing their own produce and sharing produce with the rest of the community. Um, there's going to be all kinds of projects along those lines, some that deal with some of the middle school students, middle school age students that are in that community. Also, they have a ministry to... Um, and they came up with a really good, um, I, I just, sorry, I love this. They've got a ministry to a group of people who essentially live at the dump, the garbage dump outside of town. So we showed pictures, they gather garbage, they sift through, they get recyclables, all this stuff, but for the most part, they, they live there. Uh, they did a huge filter. We, we took a bunch of water filters that you gave last year uh, that filter a million gallons apiece, and they took demonstrations, so every family there now has clean water to drink, uh, which is amazing. And uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. We really struggled with, how, what do you call this? We're going to go serve the people at the dump. I, it just doesn't sound right, right, to call them people at the dump. I, don't, I wouldn't want to be called people at the dump. And so we kind of left Guatemala thinking, well, they'll figure it out. <laughs> Um, and they did. Nueva Vida, they called them New Life. We're serving the people of New Life. So literally, they call the dump New Life. Um, if that is not an embodiment of what it means to be incarnational and express the love of Jesus Christ in the world today, I don't know what does. That you would go to a place like a dump and say, this is a source of new life. Um, those are the three areas of our Christmas offering this year. You can give it all through the month of December. Uh, there's a, a new drop-down. If you use the app or you, you give online, I want to encourage you to check that out. You can go to the website, reallifecc.org, and just click give. It'll take you to the page, and you hit the drop-down menu. You can give to the Christmas offering uh, just over and above our regular giving. Our goal is $30,000. Anything above that, we will use in one of those areas and uh, continue just to bless other people during a season where there's usually a lot of focus on ourselves sometimes, but we have the opportunity as the church to model for others what it looks like to serve them. So I want to encourage you to be praying about what God would have you give 
during this time. In February, just a little sneak peek, Damaris Kellogg, who's the Compassion Ministries Director down in Guatemala, and her husband Roger are going to be here with us on the last weekend of February. And uh, just to put it in your heart, we're going to be challenging our church to sponsor 25 to 30 new children who will be fed, clothed, educated. Um, I think God can do that through us. And so uh, it'll be exciting to spend that weekend with them and be challenged in that way too, in that partnership. One last thing, on your way out today, you're going to get one of these. This is the Christmas Traditions event that's happening on the 16th of December, Friday night. Uh, We're going to pack this place out, all kinds of different things. I think you saw on the screen, yes, there will be an indoor snowball fight. I'm not in charge of that, Pastor Ben is. So if you have questions, don't ask me. But uh, there's going to be all kinds of neat stuff to go on. On your way out today, an usher or greeter is going to put this in your hand. Your job is to lose it, not on the floor of your car, not in the back window. Take it, uh, invite somebody, bring a neighbor, uh, do whatever you've got to do. But it's just going to be a fun night as the body of Christ coming together, doing all kinds of different things. There's music that's going to be happening. Uh, Willow Creek Middle School is going to be here with their orchestra. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of things going on. So it's going to be really cool. So I want to encourage you to invite some people to join you for this uh, as you leave here today. Sound like a, a, a good deal? All right, I'm going to ask you to stand and let me pray for us as we close. Father, in your mercies and in your grace, you've brought us here today. And uh, Father, we pray that we might go in your mercy and your grace. We might live lives, Father, that honor you and glorify you. That we might embody and embrace the grace that you've poured into us. Father, this Advent season, as we kind of slow ourselves down in the midst of the busyness, I pray that we might create space for you to speak into our lives. um, So that we might not miss the love that you have for us. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name that all God's people said. Amen. God bless you. Thanks.